Well, good morning. If you would care to open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Continue our study in the book of Ephesians this morning. Before we begin, let's bow before our Lord in prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, holy and reverend, is your matchless name. And Father, how thankful we are to be able to come before the throne of grace, the throne of the God of heaven and earth, and worship you. And Father, I pray that you would enable us to do that this morning, to worship you in spirit and in truth, to worship around the gospel of your dear Son. Father, what a blessed privilege that you've given us to have a place we can come and hear your gospel preached and worship. Father, I pray you not let us take this blessed privilege for granted and that you would send your spirit upon us this morning and enable us to worship, enable us to, to hear, enable us to believe, enable us to cling to our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, bless your word. You promised that you would bless your word. Father, bless your word this morning, we pray, for your glory and bless it to the hearts of your people. What we pray for ourselves, we pray for our children's classes. Father, how thankful we are for all these young ones that you've given to us. And Father, we pray for them. We pray that you would protect them bodily, that you would keep them safe from this difficult generation in which they grow up. And Father, above all, how we pray mercy for their souls. We pray you'd make us faithful to always point them to our Lord Jesus Christ. And in your time, you might be pleased, Father, to show them who and what they are. Reveal to them the Lord Jesus Christ and cause them to run to him. Father, we pray for those who are away from us today, those who are in times of great difficulty and heartache and sorrow and trial. Father, we pray you'd be with your people, that you'd comfort their hearts with your presence, that you'd deliver as soon as it could be thy will. Father, all these things we ask, and we give thanks in that name which is above every name, the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. All right, I've titled our lesson this morning, A Pastor's Prayer. Now, Paul was not the pastor at this church at Ephesus, but he was the one who first preached the gospel to the people there, and he had a special love for that congregation that the Lord had, had called together through his preaching. And here he tells them about his prayer for them. And what Paul prays here is the, the prayer of every pastor for the people that he serves. Now you'll notice that uh, in this, as we read through this, there's no mention of physical things, physical blessings in this prayer. It's all spiritual. And I will tell you that I pray, when I pray, I pray for your physical well-being. I, you know, I don't want to see you suffer. I, I pray the Lord bless you in so many different physical ways, things that we need. But what I pray for, what I beg God for, is your spiritual well-being. Because nothing is more important than that. And that's what we see in Paul's prayer here, beginning in verse 15 of Ephesians 1. Wherefore I also, after that I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, a pastor's prayer, first of all, is going to include thanksgiving. First of all, we're thankful for the God that we pray to. Paul calls our God here the God 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the God who sent the Son into this world to be the Savior of His people. And he's, Paul calls Him the Father of glory. He's the, he's the God of all glory. And it is His glory, he said, to show mercy to His people. Now, aren't you thankful to be able to pray to that God? The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glories. He has the power to answer prayer, doesn't he? To hear and to answer prayer. Now, our goal when we preach, when we preach the gospel, is to glorify that God. That's, that's our goal, to glorify the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of, of glory, to, to tell, tell truth about him, to glorify, bring glory to his name. That is first and foremost, to bring glory to his name. There's not going to be any worship without truth, is there? There's not going to be any salvation without truth. God cannot be glorified without truth. So we, we, we want to be truthful and glorify his name. But we're preaching to people. We're preaching this truth to people. And we preach so that sinners will hear, on Christ, hear, hear Christ and believe on him and be saved. We preach Christ so that God's people will be fed and strengthened and, and instructed. Now, we can't make anybody believe on Christ. We can preach to him. We can't make anybody believe on Christ. So when someone does believe on Christ, we give thanks, don't we? Because God did that. We didn't do that. God did that. God, the Holy Spirit, made them believe. And the evidences that we have that somebody truly believes are what Paul mentions here. Faith and love. Faith and love. You're the only evidence. We, we, we preach the God of electing love, don't we? He chose a people to save. Well, you know, the only, the only evidence that you have that God elected you unto salvation is faith in Christ. That's the only evidence. The, that is the gift that God gives everyone he chose to save. Everyone for whom Christ dies, he gives them all the same gift. The gift of faith in Christ. If you believe Christ... The Father elected you into salvation. You know, the only evidences that, uh, that you have that, that God has saved you is faith in Christ alone. If you trust all of your salvation to Christ, to his doing, to his dying, then God's given you faith. He's given you the gift of faith. And if somebody gives you a gift, you're thankful, aren't you? We're thankful. Thankful that God's given you a new nature, a nature of faith, a nature that trusts Christ and rests in Him, that gift of saving faith God gives every one of His people. But you know what? That saving faith can't be seen, can it? Faith is in the heart. It's hidden in the heart. The evidence of salvation that can be seen is love. It's love that faith produces. It's love toward God and love to the brethren. You know, Faith in the heart is seen by love that acts outwardly. Faith makes us, is, is the, the, the motor that, that drives us to love. That's why love is called the preeminent mark of a believer. In this way, our Lord said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples, that you have love one to another. It's love. The Apostle John said, if a man says he loves God and hates his brother, that man's a liar. It's love toward God and love to the brethren. And a, a loving attitude and a love that acts, that is an important mark of, a, mark of a believer. The only reason somebody loves like that is God's given them a nature of love. And we thank God because he's the only one that could give it. 
And Paul says, you know, I'm thankful. I'm thankful I see these evidences of faith and love in you Ephesian believers because that's the evidence God's done something for you. That's the evidence God blessed the message of Christ to your hearts. And I say the very same thing. I'm thankful. I'm very thankful for the faith and love that God has, has given so many of you. All right, number two, a pastor, he's going to pray for wisdom. Wisdom for himself and wisdom for, for those to whom he preaches. In verse 17, Paul says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom. Wisdom. I have a pastor friend, he told me one time, he said, you know, he said, I used to pray for wisdom every day. And he said, then I realized that's got to be the most selfish prayer that ever was. He said, now I pray for wisdom for, for the congregation and for me. We all need wisdom. We need wisdom to preach. We need wisdom to hear. We need wisdom to conduct ourselves wisely so we protect the unity of the saints. We all need wisdom. And that's what Paul's doing. He's praying for wisdom. And the wisdom he's talking about is the wisdom to know God. Now, only God can give that wisdom. In Job 38, verse 36, the Lord is talking to Job in that great, those great chapters where he's talking to Job. He said, where were you when I did this, Job? Where were you when I did this? And he tells Job, who hath put wisdom in the inward parts? Who hath given understanding to the heart? Who, who's done that? Only God. We can't give it to ourselves. We can't give it to our loved ones. Only God can give that wisdom. And we're talking about wisdom. You know, this wisdom is a whole lot more than knowing things. Knowing points of doctrine and knowing things, knowing facts from, from the scriptures. The wisdom we're talking about here is the wisdom to know a person. To know the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our wisdom. And that what Paul said? Christ has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. These things are not points of doctrine, not things, are they? It's a person. Christ has made unto us wisdom. The Lord Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. You're the age-old question, how can God save a sinner and still be just? How's that possible? How can you bring a clean thing out of an unclean? How, how? Nobody knows the answer to that. By nature, nobody does. Well, the answer to the question is Christ. He's the wisdom of God. God could save sinners and still be God. He can save sinners. He can forgive sin and be merciful and still be just. Only in Christ. Only through the sacrifice of Christ. And we need to know Him. We need to know Him. We need Christ, our wisdom. I like what Solomon said in Proverbs 4, verse 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. In all thy getting, get understanding. Now, we can just put the name of Christ in there. Christ is the principal thing. Therefore, get Christ. In all you're getting, and everything you're trying to get, and everything you're trying to do to get ahead in this life, and make a life for yourself, in all thy getting, be sure you get this. Get Christ. Seek Him. Seek Him. We've got to have this wisdom. Can't know God without it. Can't know God without Christ. David said in Psalm 111, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is the beginning. This is a foundational principle of wisdom. It's the fear of the Lord. Reverence and worship of the Lord. 
And if the Lord give us wisdom, this is why we pray that the Lord give us wisdom. If he gives us wisdom, we're going to know God. And we're going to reference him. And we'll be able to worship him together. And that's why I pray the Lord give each of us wisdom. Give wisdom to know Christ. All right, number three. In the pastor's prayer, he'll pray for a revelation of Christ. In verse 17, Paul says that the, the Lord may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Revelation. You know, the gospel is not like um, teaching math in school. Teaching somebody two plus two is four. That's just teaching somebody facts. You, that, you don't need a revelation from God to understand two plus two equals four. I can, I can hold up my fingers and figure that out, can't you? That's not what we're talking about here. And here's why the gospel must be revealed. Christ must be revealed to us. Because nobody by nature can know God. We can't figure out God by our wisdom. We can't figure out God by man's intellect. And the reason for it is our, our minds are spiritually dead. Now, I'm not saying men are stupid. Men are brilliant. I mean, the things people do in science and medicine and in math and business and the things people do, I mean, man is brilliant, even with a mind that, that's destroyed by sin. Physically, naturally speaking, men are brilliant. But with that brilliant mind that can figure out math and chemistry and engineering and all medicine and all these things, our minds are dead by nature, so we can't know the first spiritual thing. We cannot know. We cannot figure out anything spiritual and come to the right understanding of it. Now, we try to, come, we try to figure things out spiritually, but we always come to the wrong, wrong conclusion, don't we? By nature, we do. The one and only way sinful men and women like you and me can know God is if he's pleased to reveal himself to us. Now, we're totally dependent on him. You know, and that's the only way we can know any spiritual truth. The only way we can know any spiritual truth. I mean, by, and by that I mean know it and love it and believe it and hang our souls upon it is if God is pleased to reveal it to us. He's got to reveal it to us. You know, let, let's start where we were ruined in Adam. The only way we can know our sinfulness is if God reveals it to us. Otherwise, we think we're pretty good, don't we? We're comparing ourselves to other people. We're, we're comparing ourselves to, to our standard of the law, you know. We're, we're trying to grade ourselves on the curve. We think we're pretty good until the Lord's pleased to, to reveal our sinfulness to us. I mean, Paul said, I thought I was alive once. And then when the Lord showed me what the law really says, I died. I didn't know that till the Lord was pleased to reveal to me my own sinfulness, my own helpful, my helplessness, my own depravity. And the only way I can know Christ, the only way I can know I need Him, the only way I can know He's everything that I need, the only way I can trust Him is if the Lord is pleased to reveal Christ to us. So the pastor's prayer is, Lord, reveal Yourself to us. Reveal Yourself to us. And boy, didn't Paul know what he was talking about? Saul of Tarsus knew the law. I mean, you talk about an intelligent man. He knew the law. He knew the scriptures. He knew the ceremonies. He knew all that. But this is what he said. I was lost. Oh, I knew all that, but I was lost in my self-righteousness. 
See, I looked at the scriptures. I looked at the law. I looked at the ceremonies and I had a dead mind and came to the wrong conclusion that I could keep the law and make myself righteous. He came to the wrong conclusion, didn't he? He was lost in his self-righteousness until when? Until when? Paul told the church at Galatia, I was lost until it pleased God to reveal his son in me. Then I knew. Then I saw what the law was. Then I saw how the law pointed me to Christ. Then I saw how Christ was the fulfillment of all those ceremonies. Then I saw that, that Christ is the, is, is the issue. Christ is the gospel. Christ is the Savior. The only righteousness there is is the righteousness of Christ. But I didn't know that until God was pleased to reveal it to me. Well, that's my prayer for you and me. That God be pleased to reveal Christ to us. And as I pray that the Lord reveal Christ to us, I tell you the next thing I do is I'm determined to preach nothing but Christ. Because the only way we're going to know him is if somebody preaches Christ to us. Oh, I pray God will reveal Christ to you and me. If he does, oh, we'll be thankful. All right, here's the fourth thing. The pastor will pray for eyes that see Christ. That see Christ. In verse 18, he says that the eyes of of your understanding being enlightened. Now we pray that the Lord enlighten our eyes because we're in darkness. We pray that the Lord gives us eyes to see Christ and believe on him because we're spiritually blind. The seeing eyes are the Lord. The only way we're going to have it is if he gives it. He's got to, to give it. And that's why we're praying, Lord, I understand people being blind. I once was blind. I mean, now I see by, by your grace, but I understand somebody being blind. That's why I pray, Lord, give eyes that see. Give eyes that see Christ. And we're talking about seeing. It's not seeing like I'm looking at you, seeing you all sit there right now. We're talking about understanding. By nature, we have no spiritual understanding. We don't understand that Christ is all, do we? By nature, we do not understand that. We think we've got to add something to him, that we've got to help him out, that we've got to accept him in order to ratify his, his sacrifice for us. We just don't get it. That's what being spiritually blind is. We don't get it. We don't get it. Even when the preacher tells it to us, reads it to us from God's word, we don't get it. You know why we don't get it? We're blind. We're blind. We can't see. We can't see our sin. I think, well, you know, I got a little bit of righteousness. I got, I got, I got a little more righteousness. This fellow over here, you know. We don't see our hopeless condition. We think if I just try a little harder, I can make this situation a little better, don't we? We don't see our need of Christ. Oh, you know, uh, I'd like for Jesus to help me, but I don't see. I don't get it. I need Him to do all of the saving for me. I need Him to be all of my righteousness. He is everything I need, but I don't see it until the Lord gives me eyes to see. So that's why we pray, Lord, give us eyes to see. Like I said a minute ago, I'm determined to only preach Christ to you. I'm going to keep preaching Christ. I'm going to keep telling you, even though you're blind, I'm going to keep telling you, look to Christ. Look to Christ. If the Lord ever gives you eyes to see Christ. Now, I'm not going to beg you to do anything. I'm not going to beg you to make a decision and walk an aisle. And do it. No, I'm just going to keep telling you, look to Christ. I'm going to keep telling you Christ is all. I'm going to keep telling you about his glory as best as a fallen human tongue can tell you. I'm determined to do that.
I can tell you when you're going to come to Christ, when you're going to look to Him, when you're going to come running to Him, when the Spirit gives you eyes to see Christ. If you see Him, nothing will stop you from getting to Him. Nothing will. So that's my prayer. That the Lord give us eyes to see Christ. And then fifth, a pastor will pray for this. A knowledge. A knowledge of God. A knowledge that comes from experience. In verse 18, he says, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, Paul says, I want you to know this. I want you to know it because by nature, we don't know any spiritual truth. That's why God gives us a pastor to teach us. Now, what we really need is the Holy Spirit to teach us, isn't it? That's us. I mean, I can teach your head. Well, we need the Holy Spirit to teach us, but he uses pastors and teachers to do that. And our great need is for somebody to teach us Christ, to teach us how he saves sinners. We need to be taught that we're sinners that can't do anything to please God. That's why we need Christ to come and please him for us. We need to be found in Christ. We need to know Christ. And I'll tell you if we know him, now, not, not just know his name. Well, I mean, how many people live in this? Billions of people live in this. Or many of them, many of them know the name Jesus, but they aren't saved. Just because somebody can say his name doesn't mean that they know Christ. This is knowing Christ by experience. To know him, to be joined to him. If we know him, we have eternal life. That's why I pray that the Lord teach us, give us a knowledge of him. Because if we know him, we have eternal life. Isn't that what our Lord said in John 17? This is life eternal that they might know thee. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. If you know the only true God and Jesus Christ who he sent in this world to be the Savior of sinners, if you know him, you have eternal life. Now there are three specific truths concerning the Savior that Paul mentions here that he prays that we be taught. And the Lord's going to teach everybody he saves these, these three truths these three truths. First, we need to be taught the hope of his calling. He says that in verse 18, that you may know that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Now, I want to know this calling. I want to know it by experience. Because you know, the Lord doesn't call everybody to come to Christ, does he? He commands all men everywhere to come to Christ, but he didn't call everybody to come to Christ. He only calls his sheep. That's why I want to know by experience this calling, this irresistible call of the Spirit to be called to Christ. I want to know that. I want you to know that call by experience. Because if you've been called to Christ, brother, you've got a good hope. You have a good hope. That hope is not a hope like, well, we we're talking about, I hope the Bengals win today. Hope. This is not the hope like that. This is an expectation. If God, the Holy Spirit's called you, you have an expectation of eternal life. And here's why you can expect it. Because God promised to give it. He promised to give it to everybody he calls to Christ. You know, the Lord purposed to save a people. He sent his son to die for those people. To shed his blood, to put their sin away. That's God's purpose. And so he calls those people. He calls those people to come to Christ begging for mercy. Now I tell you, everybody here, 
Come to Christ and beg him for mercy. You say, well, now, if, if I'll, I'll come to Christ when, when I can just know for sure it's the Spirit who's calling me. Are you a sinner? Huh? You come to Christ begging him for mercy. You'll find out later on you came because he's drawn you. You come to Christ because you're a sinner who needs a Savior. Come begging him for mercy. And this is what the Lord himself said. All that come to me. Yeah, I, I'm going to draw them. The Father which sent me will draw them. But all that come to me, I will never cast out. Now, that's pretty good hope, isn't it? So you can expect the Lord will never cast you out because he promised he wouldn't. <laughs> so come to him begging for mercy. And that's the hope I pray that each of us have. An expectation of life, forgiveness, righteousness in Christ. And this hope of life eternal, it's an expectation of glory. An expectation if it's based on Christ alone. Christ alone. Second, Paul says we need to be taught what is the riches of the glory of our inheritance. The riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints. Now the Lord's prepared an inheritance. Peter says it's incorruptible, undefiled, it fadeth not away. The Lord has an inheritance for his people. We looked at that a week or two ago in Abraham and Isaac. Abraham gave everything he had to Isaac. Isaac inherited it all. The Lord has inherited, or has purposed an inheritance for his people that's rich. I mean, it's rich. It's everything that the eternal God has for a sinner. Everything. Everything that we need to stand before him, perfect. And that inheritance is kept safe. For you who believe, it's kept safe. It's reserved for you in heaven. We can't waste it away like the prodigal son did. Remember that prodigal son came to his father and said, give me my inheritance now, my, my share now. You know, And he wasted it all, didn't he? Lost it all. Ended up being homeless and penniless, eating the food they fed to the hogs. Well, I'd do that in a heartbeat if the Lord let me with you. So he hadn't left that inheritance in our hand. It's in Christ's hands. It's reserved in heaven for us. Now I pray the Lord give us some knowledge of this inheritance. Of what we have, what we have in Christ right now, and what we have to look forward to. I'm telling you, that'll keep this world in its proper perspective. If this inheritance, it's in the saints now. And oh, what's coming? He's given us a foretaste of it now. What's coming? If we have some knowledge of that, it'll keep this world in its right perspective on it. And then thirdly, we need to be taught the saving power of God. In verse 19, Paul says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Now the power that Paul is talking about here is God's power to give life, to give spiritual life. And we know that God has that power, don't we? We know he does. We know he has this life-giving power because he raised Christ the Savior from the dead. The Lord Jesus was dead. And then he was raised. He was was raised to, to, to life. And God the Holy Spirit uses that very same power 
to give spiritual life to dead sinners. You know, this is something we don't, this is what we need to understand. We don't understand this by nature. We're dead. We're dead. Can you imagine the power that it takes to make a dead man live? Have you ever seen it? When you go to the funeral home, do you ever expect to see it? Do you expect to see that corpse sit up and and walk out and go get a cup of coffee with you? No. I mean, that, that kind of power is just beyond our comprehension. Well, what kind of power would it take to raise that, that corpse up from the dead? Paul's telling us here it takes that very same level of power to give spiritual life to me and you. Hmm. And the Holy Spirit gives God's people life, spiritual life, for the very same reason He raised Christ from the dead. The Lord Jesus, our Savior, died for sin. The sin of his people was made to be his and the father killed him. The father thrust the sword of justice into the heart of his son in justice because he made him guilty. Even though he never personally committed any sin, the Savior became guilty of the sin of his people and God's justice demanded he die. And he did. He died. But three days later, he strolled out of that tomb. He and he let, he let, we went from there. He spent some time with his disciples and then he ascended back to glory to sit on the right hand of his father on the throne in heaven. Now, why would the father raise him from the dead? The only reason he'd raise him from the dead is the sin that had been charged to him is gone. See, sin demands death, doesn't it? But where there is no sin, there can't be any death. The only reason anybody dies is because of sin. If there's no sin, there can't be death. Well, the Savior rose from the dead because there's no sin left on Him. There's no sin left in Him. His blood put all of that sin away. There's no sin. So He had to come out of the tomb. He couldn't stay dead. Well, the Holy Spirit gives God's, God's elect spiritual life for the very same reason. Christ put their sin away by His death for them. He put their sin away. He died as their substitute. Their sin is gone. Gone. Then God's justice demands that they have eternal life. Just like God's justice demands death for sin, God's justice demands life when sin's been put away. And the Holy Spirit comes in the preaching of the gospel and miraculously and powerfully in, in, a, in a powerful, mysterious way that we can't exactly put our finger on. He comes in power and takes the preaching of the gospel and gives spiritual life in the heart of a dead sinner where there was no life before. Suddenly there's faith in Christ where there was none before. Suddenly there's love for Christ and love for the gospel. Suddenly there's a need for the gospel. Suddenly there's an ability to feed on the gospel where there was never any before. What happened? The Spirit gave life. Gave life. And He does it because Christ died in our place. And that's what I pray for you and me. That the Holy Spirit will supernaturally give life to us through the preaching of the gospel. You know, I pray that, that, that the Lord will call out His sheep, save His people. And then I pray, Lord, give me a message of Christ. Give me the message of Christ. 
Give me the message for the hour. Oh, I could go through and, and, uh, and pick lots of true things, you know, to, to preach and to say for, from this book. But I want God's message for the hour, don't you? For this hour, for this people, for whoever the Lord is brought here this morning, because this is the means that God uses to give life. And he's, he's blessed it, hasn't he? He's blessed. I, I pray he'll con- continue to bless it in the days and weeks ahead. All right.